My name's John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today on Peace by Believing, we're going to be thinking about what to do when God's will clashes with our will. And we've probably all had that experience in life where we wanted to go in a certain direction, and yet God led us to go in a different direction. And that is a very difficult experience. Sometimes God will impress something on our heart. God will lead us in a way. God will reveal His will to us. We know there's something that He wants us to do, and yet we don't want to do that. We want to do something completely the opposite of that. And so it is as though God's will sometimes clashes with our will. And it's one of the most difficult things about the Christian life. Now, as we think about God's will, and that just simply means God's plan for our lives, we know that sometimes God's will is quite easy to do. In fact, the Bible teaches that sometimes we know God's will. God reveals his will to us by giving us a desire in our heart that matches his will. For example, in my own life, when I was a teenager, the primary way that I knew God wanted me in the gospel ministry was that God placed a desire in my heart to preach. And so I just had a desire to be a preacher. I had a desire to study the Bible. I had a desire to go to college. I had a desire to major in religion. I had a desire to preach at any opportunity that I might have. And so I just knew that that was what God wanted me to do. So for me, becoming a preacher was not a hard thing at all. It was an easy thing because God just gave me a desire to do His will. And many times God does that. But there are times in life when God doesn't necessarily give us the desire to do His will, or at least not immediately. Sometimes God leads us down a road, and we don't have a desire to go down that road. We want to go down a different road, and yet we know that God is leading us that way. And as we study and read in the Bible, we see that there were a lot of God's people who found that there came a time in their life when God's will clashed with their will. Just a few examples here off the top of my head. First of all, I think about Moses. God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and to appear before Pharaoh and to demand that Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, uh, let God's people go. Well, Moses did not want to do that. Moses didn't feel qualified or adequate to do that. And yet, eventually, he surrendered his will and did what God told him to do, but it was not an easy thing at all for Moses to do. In another place, we read where God told a man named Gideon to fight with the Midianites. The Midianites had been mistreating the people of God, and God raised up Gideon and said, Gideon, go rescue my people. Well, Gideon did not want to do that. He was afraid. And so many times in life, God tells us to do something, and we are so very afraid. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid we won't do a good job. We're afraid that we're not qualified or gifted, or we're just afraid we'll mess it up somehow. Well, Gideon could understand that because God told him to do something that he felt fearful about. But eventually, he went on and did exactly what God told him to do. 
We read another place in the Bible, God told a man named Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach. Jonah did not want to do that. That was not the desire in his heart. And yet, eventually, he ended up in Nineveh doing exactly what God had told him to do. And my point is simply this. Sometimes in your life, God may lead you to do something that you don't want to do. Sometimes he places a desire in our heart, and that desire that he gives us matches his desire for us, and so we just follow our heart and we're in God's will. But sometimes it's not that simple. Sometimes God leads us to do something and we have no desire whatsoever to do. And the best example I can think of in all the Bible who, of somebody who went through that same experience was Jesus Christ himself. You're probably familiar with the story of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he was crucified. And as Jesus was out there just pouring out his heart to his father in prayer, he said this to his father. He said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But if not, not my will, but yours be done. In other words, Jesus was saying to his father, Father, you're wanting me to die on that cross, but I don't want to do that. And there are a lot of reasons why I don't want to do that. And yet, if that's your will for me, I will surrender my will to your will. I will do exactly what you want me to do. And so, in today's sermon, we're going to be thinking about some very practical reasons why Jesus Christ did not want to die on that cross. Remember, not only was Jesus all God, but Jesus was all man. And as a human being, Jesus naturally would not have wanted to have died on that cross. So today, we're going to be thinking about why he did not want to die. And we're also going to be thinking about why God knew that he had to die. And so I hope this message, this program today, will be a blessing to you. Why would Jesus say to his father, Father, I know this is what you want me to do, but this is not what I want to do. Well, I want to mention four reasons for that tonight. And if you'll turn back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah in chapter number 53, we can find a lot of the answers to this question, uh, in fact, in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 53 and again, Jesus is praying in the garden, not as I will. I do not want to die on that cross. Why? Let me give you four words, and they all start with the letter S. The first word is the word sin. Sin. Now, if you think about it, Jesus Christ is the purest, most innocent person who has ever lived. He has never sin. Jesus has never done anything that he would have to ask his father's forgiveness of. He's the only person in the world who falls in that category. Growing, now you, you, we just think about that. Well, I know Jesus never sinned, but think about what that means. That means when Jesus was growing up, he never disobeyed his parents. He never got in a fight with his brothers or sisters. He never did anything wrong as a child. He went through his entire teenage uh, experience, never did anything wrong. As a young adult, the Bible says he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. He never did anything wrong. The first and primary reason that Jesus prayed to his Father 
and said, Father, this is not my will. I do not want to die on the cross was because Jesus knew that by dying on the cross, he was bearing the sin of the whole world. Let me show it to you. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6. The Bible says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We've all blown it in life. And the Lord has laid on him, that is on Jesus. This is an Old Testament prophecy about the death of Jesus. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so Jesus knew that when he, if he had to get up on that cross and the sins of the world, think about what that verse says, the Lord laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all. Every sin that you have ever committed, every sin that I have ever committed, every sin that every human being has ever committed, going all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, even to the youngest babies in our nursery, to the, that they haven't even committed any sins yet, but that they will one day commit all those sins laid on Jesus. Think about that. Every lie, every time a person has cheated on a test, Every time a person has been dishonest in a business dealing, every time a person has lost his or her temper, every time a person has had a lustful thought, every time a person has committed an act of immorality, every time anybody has uh, in any way done anything that would be considered a sin against God, what did that do? All those sins were put on Jesus. Now, One of the reasons we can't fully understand how horrible this was for Jesus is because we're not pure pure and innocent like Jesus was. We know about sin. We are far too familiar with sin. But for Jesus, innocent, pure, I hate to use the word naive because he was not naive mentally, but when it comes to sin, completely inexperienced with sin. And yet the thought of all these sins being placed on him And the defilement that he would feel. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians? That God made him, that is God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so on that cross, Jesus knew that all the sins of all mankind would be placed on him. Now, how many of you... And, and by the way, you have, to, you have to say amen to this, okay? Or else you're going to indict yourself. You have to say amen. How many of you would say, when you, every single time you sin, you feel dirty and shameful? Say amen. I hope we all feel that way. That's one of the ways, by the way, I know I'm saved. Not that I never sin, because I do sin. But every time I sin, I feel badly about it. Sometimes I have to go ask people to forgive me if I was rude. Sin, there's just something about sin that is dirty and defiling. Even for those of us who have committed a lot of sins, after we've been saved, we don't want to sin. Now think about Jesus. He had never sinned. He never knew that shame, that regret, that sorrow, that dirty feeling. And he knew that if he had to die on that cross... All the sins of all the world would be placed on him. And that's the primary reason that Jesus said, Father, this is not my will. This is not what I want to do. 
Now, I'll tell you a second reason that he said that. This, he said, Father, this is not my will. Not only sin, but because of separation. He knew that, all, that sin always separates us from God. Now, turn to Isaiah chapter 59, just a few pages over in your Bible. Sin always separates us from God. Jesus understood this full well. In Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, look what it says. Your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You see, God was saying to his people, you're praying, you're asking God to bless you, you're asking God to lead you, but you've not dealt with the sin in your life, and as a result of that, God doesn't even hear your prayers. There's another place in the book of Psalms where the psalmist said this, if I regard or if I have iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. So sin separates us from God. So what was when Jesus said, Father... This is not my will. Why? Because Jesus knew that if he had to die on that cross, all the sins of all mankind being placed on him, that those sins would do what? They would separate him from God. Now, Jesus, Jesus, who is God the Son, had never been separated from God the Father. I mean, the Father and the Son had always enjoyed unbroken fellowship, always. And even when Jesus had come to the earth, even though they were separated By distance, they were still together in spirit. There was never anything between the Father and the Son. But Jesus knew that if he died on that cross and all of our sins were placed on him, that there would be separation between him and his Father. This is why, for example, Jesus, it's so clear, when he was dying on that cross, he said, my God, my God, what's the next phrase? Why have you forsaken me? Because that's exactly what had happened. God had forsaken him. Look again at this second verse. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. So when Jesus was dying on that cross, there's a sense in which there was a block. Jesus' face was hidden from God the Father so that he will not hear you. And Jesus didn't want that to happen in his life. So Jesus said, not my will. Why? Sin, separation. And then a third word is the word sadness. Jesus knew that if he had to die on that cross, that his death would cause incredible sadness, not only for his disciples, but for all those people who uh, loved him and had followed him from Galilee to Jerusalem for uh, the Passover, and ultimately they watched him being crucified. Now, I want to show you something quite interesting. Go to the Gospel of John in chapter number 19. Because we read a, a, a very tender record of Jesus and his relationship with his mother. Now, we know that Jesus' mother was named Mary. We know that Jesus' earthly father, not his uh, biological father, but his, uh, his earthly father was Joseph. And we're led to believe in Scripture that Joseph was quite a bit older than Mary. And the last time we read about Joseph in the New Testament is in Luke chapter 2, where it says that 
Every year, the parents of Jesus went to the Passover in Jerusalem. And so, when Jesus was 12 years old, Mary and Joseph took him and a lot of other people from Nazareth went to Jerusalem and they observed the Passover. And then you remember the story. They were heading back to Nazareth and they got about a day's journey away. And Mary looked at Joseph and Joseph looked at Mary and and Mary said, Jesus is with you, right? And he said, no, I thought Jesus was with you. And she said, no, I thought he was with you. And so they had to go back to Jerusalem. And Jesus, of course, was in the temple, and he was talking to those teachers. But the point is, every time we read about Joseph in the New Testament, we find that he is a godly man. In Matthew chapter 1, he's so godly, when he found out that Mary had become pregnant, the last thing that he wanted to do was to cause her any heartache or any shame. And so the Bible says that he had decided to divorce her privately. He wasn't going to drag her name through the mud. Back in Bible times, if you were engaged, that was just about as binding as a marriage. And the only way out of that engagement would be to go through a divorce. And so the Bible says Joseph, being a righteous man, had decided to put her away or to divorce her privately so as not to bring her any shame. After he had made that decision, he went to bed one night and in his sleep, An angel appeared to him and said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take to you Mary as your wife, for the child which is in her has been conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph took her to be his wife. He cared for her. He was a wonderful husband, and he was a wonderful father. But we don't read a lot of details about Joseph, only that we know he was an extremely righteous and godly man. And in Luke chapter 2, when the family went to Passover when Jesus was 12, that's the last time we ever read about Joseph. Now, from the time Jesus was 12 until the time Jesus was 30, when Jesus began his public ministry, for 18 years, we don't read anything about the life of Jesus. Those are called the quiet years of his life, the hidden years of his life. Most people believe that it was during those 18 years that Joseph died. He died. And the reason we are confident that Joseph had died during those years is because during the public ministry of Jesus, Joseph was never there. And for example, when Jesus was dying on the cross, Joseph, Mary was there, but Joseph was not there. And since he was such a devoted husband, and since he was such a wonderful father, and such a godly man, he would have been in Jerusalem for the Passover because that was his custom. But when Jesus is dying on that cross, Joseph is not there. Most everybody believes he had died. John chapter 19 and verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore, now this is a tender verse about Jesus, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, that's John the, the apostle, he said to his mother, woman, Behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, Jesus, or that disciple, took her to his own home. And so John assumed responsibility for Mary. So as Jesus was dying on that cross, and he's looking at the scene, all these people watching this, he looks at his mother, and her heart is broken, and no doubt she's weeping, and she's standing next to the apostle John, And Jesus, since Joseph had at some point died, presumably, Jesus, as a good son, 
had taken over the responsibility of caring for his mother. Well, now since Jesus is dying, he feels that it is extremely important to have somebody else to look over her mother, his mother in her aging years. And so he gave that assignment to the Apostle John. But the point I'm making is this. When Jesus said, Father, not my will, one of the reasons it was not Jesus' will to die on that cross, not only the sin that would make him feel defiled and dirty, not only the separation from his Father, but Jesus, knew, Jesus knows everything. And so Jesus knew that he would be hanging up on that cross and looking out there, seeing his mother, already a widow. He's the one who primarily cared, who had cared for her. He's going to be gone. And so he knew that his death would break his mother's heart, and he didn't want to do that. Who wants to make their mother cry? And so Jesus, as a good son, didn't want to do that. And so I believe that's one of the reasons that he said, not my will. Now, there's a more obvious reason why Jesus said that, and most of the time when we deal with this passage, we skip all over those and just get to this obvious reason. But that was because of the suffering that Jesus knew he would experience. As you well know, Crucifixion was the most painful form of death that any, imaginable that anybody could have died then or today. You know that Jesus had the nails in his hand, uh, hands, the nail in, in his feet, the crown of thorns on his head, and for six hours hanging on that cross, suffocating on that cross, Jesus was in unbelievable physical pain. And Jesus didn't want to die. He didn't want to go through that as a human being. And so he's praying and he's saying, Father... I've always had an open and honest relationship with you, <laughs> and tonight is no different. I've got to say to you, this is not what I want to do. Now, it's fascinating to me that even though Jesus had all of these good reasons for saying that he didn't want to do this, he did go on to say, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, that leads us to the second question tonight. The first question was, why didn't Jesus want to die? Well, I think we've answered that pretty clearly. Sin, separation, sadness, and suffering. Here's the second question. Why, if it was going to be that awful on Jesus, why would God have said, this is my will? In other words, why would God the Father say, it is my will for my son to experience something as awful as that? I mean, you read that and you think, well, what kind of father would he be to want his son to have to endure all of that? And yet we know that God is nothing but love. He is, he is the epitome of love. He is, he is everything that is good. He's the, most, he's the best father imaginable. And yet we do have to at least think about, why would he want Jesus to go through that? And there's a short answer to that question. I don't have all the different answers that I had for the first question. Real simple answer for that. Because God the Father knew that the only way for salvation to be provided for the sins of the world was through the sacrificial death of His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, to me, that's one of the most fascinating stories in all of the Bible, how Jesus did not want to die on that cross naturally, and yet God the Father did want Him to die on the cross. And so after a long, long struggle in that Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus surrendered His will. And He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so by doing that, Jesus has given us the example. He has shown us what to do when God's will clashes with our will. We shouldn't fight it. We shouldn't run from God's will. We shouldn't be disobedient. 
we should instead just surrender and say, God, you know this is not what I want to do. From my perspective, uh, this is going to be the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. And yet, Father, I trust you enough to know that you would never lead me to do anything that would not ultimately be for my good and for your glory. And so I just surrender my will to you. And so, friend, today, whatever you might be facing in life, if you feel that God is leading you in a certain direction, maybe you've been fighting with God and wrestling with God, or maybe you've even been running from God, I encourage you today, surrender to God. Just surrender your will. That's a lot easier for me to say that than it would be for you or for me even to do that. But the fact is, if you will just surrender, if you'll say to the Father what Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. I'll tell you what you're going to find. You're going to find that God will bless that act of obedience. God will reward you richly for that. And not only will God bless you by giving you peace and providing for every need that you'll ever have, God will bless other people. There's a ripple effect to our obedience. And so if you'll do what God's leading you to do, it's a win-win situation for everybody. I want to thank you for listening to the program today. I hope that it's been a blessing to you. I hope that you have a great week. If you have an opportunity, I would encourage you to visit our website at peacebybelieving.org. We have some resources that I believe will be helpful for you.